we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, we are doing Free Rider Friday for the month of November. Are you ready for this, Ed? I'm loaded for bear, ready to rock and roll, <laughs> excited about it being the last week of the month because I know Free Rider Friday is coming and it's just all too exciting. All right, so let's just get right into it so we can get as much uh, off our stack as possible. But I got a great one from okay. The Economist, October 13th, Pinot or Pot? You're gonna love. You're gonna love this. Winemakers here in Northern California and other wine regions worry that people's and I love this intoxication budgets could be diverted to pot, since wine and pot are substitutes, not complements. So wineries, especially around here, Ed Sonoma and Napa, are complaining they can't afford seasonal labor to harvest their grapes because cannabis farms pay more. Mm-hmm. And Sonoma County, where I'm at, has imposed restrictions on who may grow weed and where they may grow it. So what they're finding is legalization and medical marijuana will encourage more women, more baby boomers, and more high earners, all who are big in the wine demographic, to smoke weed. Nice! <laughs> So legalization and medical marijuana are associated with a 15% drop in alcohol consumption. Yes, which which is, go ahead, go, go, go. Yeah, yeah, and according to polls, 72% of Americans think it's safer to smoke weed than it is to smoke pot. So marijuana dispensers in California (laughs) have created a tasting wheels. Mm-hmm. And 100% point ratings, stealing the wine spectator's title, and they publish a magazine called Weed Spectator, which the wine spectator is suing for trademark infringement. Of course they are. <laughs> and some California sommeliers are giving classes on pairing wine and weed. Winemakers in the Napa Valley have set up the Napa Valley Cannabis Association with the idea of planting the stuff in the region next year. That's going to be, that could, that could take over olive oil. Um, Rebel Coast Winery in Los Angeles County has produced a marijuana-infused Sauvignon Blanc. And there's a British wine writer who thinks that drinking, not smoking, is the future of weed. So there you go. There you go. There you go. So, so many, so many places to go on this one. One, I think we've talked about this a long time ago. That 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 yeah, the the uh, bootleggers and Baptists coalition 
is pretty strong, right? It was yes. the people who were against against recreational use of marijuana included the wine growers and, and any alcohol producers, but it also included those who were already serving up the medical, medical marijuana. Sure. Right? So there's another a plus on, on that side. But I do like the idea of the infusion. I have to say, and, and I've talked about this, I have never smoked marijuana, mostly because I I don't... Like the idea of smoking anything is a little bit repulsive to me. Like the ingestion of smoke is, I don't know. I just, it's just never been something that been high on my list. Never really smoked cigarettes, right? I had, I've had an occasional cigar, of course, you don't, which you don't, don't inhale. <laughs> so right. that, that would be a problem. I don't know. So would you, would you try the, would you try the marijuana and fruit infused uh, Cabernet? I, I, you know, I wouldn't run to get it. it. It's like one of those movies that you say, you know, I'd watch it, but I wouldn't go to watch it. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> if, sure. if it was there and it was part of a tasting, sure. Just to, you know, I've had garlic wine at the wine festival in Gilroy and that's just horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I would try it. Uh, it's a sure. Sauvignon Blanc, so, it, you know, it can't be all bad. Yep. All right. So beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. next time we come out and do wine tasting, Ron, we'll make sure to we'll sure to hit that place up. <laughs> well, it could be in more places than one if Napa these growers uh, start oh, growing yeah. weed on their on their farm. So we'll see. That's awesome. I haven't awesome. seen it yet, but all right. Well, I so I got one that came in today. This is from Reason, and uh, you're gonna love this, Ron. So there was a a, a mistake at DC agency today. Or th- th- this past week, I should say, Gavin and Marina Clarkson were trying to apply for a marriage license in D.C. This is not a same-sex couple, by the way. All right, so Gavin and Marina, and because Marina lives in D.C., and they ran into some trouble because several, not just one, but several of the employees at the D.C. agency did not realize that New Mexico was a state. Ah. Is a yes, yes. They questioned this, and they the soup. They said, "Sorry, we can't accept international drivers' licenses. <laughs> Do you have a New Mexican passport?" <laughs> <laughs> Have to be that, cousins of AOC. That is, well, you know, and they said that. Well, they had to, they so they did say they did ask, "Hey, could you take this to a supervisor?" <laughs> They had to go twice, <laughs> twice, because I'm pretty sure the super was like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a, so then somebody probably Googled, you know, yep, yep. oh, look, it's actually a state. Okay. All right. They're good. They're good. But apparently this is not the first time that this has happened. Um, TSA administrator, David, uh, let's see, Pe- Pekoski said that some agents have trouble recognizing D.C.'s IDs because it says District of Columbia mm. rather than Washington, D.C. So this is, so yeah. So anyway, if any of Wonder. our listeners live in, live in Washington, D.C., they can give us a shout out to let us know if they've ever had trouble getting through TSA because the TSA agent didn't recognize what District of Columbia. Columbia. Or New Mexico. Yeah, uh, or New Mexico. Mexico. Or New Mexico. Yeah, if you're from New Mexico and you've ever been questions on your on your license from a TSA agent because they said you can't take out of country or international driver's license, please do let us know. I thought that was hysterical. I wonder where the New Mexico embassy is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because that Gary Johnson's from there, Ron. You know. That's true. That's true. 
All right, Ed. Uh, uh, Lot Polish Airlines. This is this is this is Bostia at the scene and not seen. Okay, so kind of have to think about this. But this this um, Lot Polish Airline flight was scheduled to depart Beijing Capital Airport, bound for Wal- Warsaw on November 11th, but struggled to take off. Now, here's the problem. First off, it's a Dreamliner. <laughs> I'm not sure which one, because, you know, now there's like the 8, the 9, and the 10, I believe. There's yeah. like three versions of this thing already. But it had a faulty hydraulic pump. So the Boeing mechanic repairing the plane insisted on payment for the replacement part had to be in cash. <laughs> And the station manager reportedly asked passengers to chip in for the repairs. Dang! So they kind of went around the cat. They went around the cabin and they fetched around five hundred and twenty bucks, which was enough to cover the installation of the new pump. It was a ten-hour wait, but they finally took off. And of course, what do you think the airline's response to this was? Uh, this the Polish Airlines. I, I, I yeah. yeah. They, they blame the passengers. <laughs> no, they did not like this. They said they put out a statement: passengers should not be engaged in this situation at any stage. Okay. We will draw conclusions and consequences from the situation. And and you know, I thought I really tried to put myself in this position. You're in China. <clears throat> you know, you want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. I would have chipped in, no doubt about it. But if you think about the seen and the unseen, what kind of incentive does this create in the future mm-hmm. <laughs> for mechanics to you oh, know, yeah. build passengers? And of course, that's what the airlines are worried about, which is completely reasonable and rational. Right, right. So, which, I mean, because I got to think it's a little bit different. Like here in the States, the, the, those, are, those maintenance things are all, they're centralized. Because usually it's not like, an American airlines person coming and cr- fixing the plane. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, in my, at least in my case, it's a, it's somebody from the airport. It, they right? have, it, it, yes, there's yeah. different arrangements. I think in some airports, it, a United mechanic will come out or an AA mechanic will come out. And in other airports, it's probably like a joint thing. And mm-hmm. I'm sure they share resources, but that's what the airline was saying. We have mechanisms in place to deal with this. And mm-hmm. so when the passengers landed, they, of course, they were reimbursed and, and all that. But you did know. you get a receipt, though? You have to get a receipt. You know, did you? <laughs> yeah, like buying an on-flight meal or something, a snack box. <laughs> yeah, I want my receipt for this. <laughs> so, I'm but, sure uh, they would have needed to get the receipt. All right. Yeah, it uh, came out of Australia. I just thought that was really funny. But what is it with these Dreamliners? I just now I'm trying to figure out historically of other air. I'm sure they have. I'm sure other airline plane, airplanes came out and you know, the three seven four seven. They had mechanical issues at the start. You know, the first couple years are working out stuff, and but it just seems like it happened all the time to the Dreamliners. Really weird. Well, they just there was there was one I read this week. It's not in my stack. It's a very serious story. The the newest version of the seven thirty seven, I think. Yeah, the Max. The the, the Max was there was a, a crash because the 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 pilots could could not could not force the plane to do what they wanted it to do. Right, right. Uh, I don't know if you read that story or came across that, but that was that was absolutely tragic. I mean, just, it, it they, was they fought I, it the whole way. It was. Uh, I forget the airline, um, but it was a. Asian airline or something, wasn't it? Or Indian or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that that can't be good for Boeing's reputation. But, no, uh, no, not good at all. And I, I think they've grounded some uh, th- th- this this particular um, type of aircraft now until they figure out what the hell's going on. That's interesting because United's got them. They've got flown in the Max already, and 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 of course United has the all three of the Dreamliners. In fact, I think mm-hmm. they're the airline with the most Dreamliners in their fleet at the moment. At least for now, uh, they have quite a few of them. <laughs> wow, wow! So, and I all have right, no well, problem, but we'll see. Yeah, well, yes, let's keep, we keep we'll keep the prayers coming, Ron. Let's keep the prayers coming. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we want to let you know you can get a hold of Ron or me sending the email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The show notes, of course, and previous to upcoming shows are available on the website, thesoulofenterprise.com. We also would love for you to review us on iTunes or any a place where you listen to this podcast. That's kind of the currency of what that what we, we trade in. Hasn't been a review in a while, so really, if you uh, want, to, want to make our, our Christmas or the ho- holiday season, please go out and at least give us a rating, but really prefer if you write one or two sentences on the review. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're free riding on Friday here on The Soul of Enterprise. Uh, Wanted to, Ron, do a little bit of an update on something, a topic that we talked about with Warren Meyer a couple of weeks back from Coyote Blog. What a great episode that was. Really, was. really terrific. So this is this is kind of a, a two-part. This is probably my longest segment for this one. So this is a two-part because the first story is by Renee Marsh, Ellie Kaufman, Ross Levitt, and Gregory uh, Wallace of, of your favorite news channel on CNN. Okay. Right. So the headline is, here's how climate change will impact 
your part of the country. Right. Right. So, and it goes through the litany of stuff. And I'm, you know, Northeast is going to be, I, I love this, which, cause I can't quite get this. There are going to be shorter winters and longer summers. Right. Okay. What, what does that exactly mean? Like, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> anyway, expect approximately this, uh, this is, this is at least one of the times where they, they use it approximately. Cause most of the time this article is written from the perspective of there will be, there will be, there mm-hmm. will be right. Are all right. Approximately 650 excess deaths per year caused by the extreme heat by 2050. Now, the one that that got that got that one got my attention because to this day, people die. There's more people die from extreme cold than extreme heat. Yep, absolutely. Right. So what is not mentioned here, of course, then is, is that, well, then that must mean that fewer people will perish in the winter due to extreme cold. Yep. It's just got to be. <clears throat> I mean, you can't you can't play this ball. They like to play it both ways, but you cannot play that both ways. And so my question immediately was, well, how many people will survive because of the warmth? But, you know, no, of course, no mention of that. But I, what I wanted to do, Ron, is just jump to California in the southwest because you need to know this. OK, right. Thank you. Yeah, I know. So there's going to be more wildfires, right? Mm. Of course. More wildfires because they increase greenhouse gases, you know, 20. Okay. And there's going to be a sea level rise. You don't have to worry about that, right, Ron? You're high enough above sea level where yes. you are. Yeah. yeah. So not, not a big deal. So you can, you can kind of blow, blow past that one, but the wildfires, I guess that could affect you, right? Yep. They're mostly okay. So, but all right. So our friend Warren Meyer in coyote blog, fortunately for us, he, he actually did some digging in, into this little report. And I love this blog. The title of this is Knowledge and Certainty Laundering via Computer Models. <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> First of all, don't you love that title? It's beautiful. Beautiful. C- certainty Laundering. All right? Yep. So, and he he, ta- he goes through this. Now, and, and, he, the fir- and the one that he addresses is the wildfire issue. So it's perfect. Right? So they have a chart in this report that shows the wildfires from 1985 until 2015, and then it's a, it's a stacked line graph, meaning it shows you the difference between how much wildfires there would have been without climate change and how many wildfires there were with climate change. Mm-hmm. Right? So they, and so they're, what they're saying here is in 2015, roughly, there were double the number of wildfires. Now, be that as it may, the number of wildfires was going up regardless. Yep. Right. So it was absolutely increasing. And I think this is mostly due to, you know, the, what we did from a forestation thing. But be that as it may, they have calculated this. Now, he says the, it, he says the labeling on this is is uh, un, underestimates. I love this underestimates the heroic feat that the authors achieved as their conclusion actually uh, models wildfires with and without anthropogenic climate change. Right. Mm. So what they had to do is they had to first model the counterfactual. Right, which is what would have happened without the 33 uh, parts per um, millimeter milliliter increase to CO2. Then they had to model the counterfactual of what the wildfire burn acreage would have been under the counterfactual climate versus what actually occurred. Right, so all of this stuff to produce this conclusion, right, to give you this number. That, of course, then the media reports in his gospel. Now, he says, don't get me wrong, this is a perfectly reasonable analysis to attempt. This is why I loved Warren Meyer, because he says, look, th- this happens all the time. You, of course you try. Th- 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 we, happen- we do this in statistics all the time. 
Sure. Right. So he's like, yeah, it's it's perfectly rational, perfectly reasonable. But then he goes on to describe what he calls laundering of certainty. Right. And he says it's just like money laundering. So I'm quoting from the article now in money laundering cash from illegal origins, such as smuggling or narcotics is fed into a business that then repays the money back to to the criminal as a salary or consulting fee or some other type of seemingly legitimate transaction. The money he gets back is exactly the same money, but instead of appearing out of nowhere, it now is has a paper trail and appears more legitimate. Right. So he says that this is the same thing that the, the the these folks did to do this analysis. They take assumptions of dubious quality or certainty that presuppose anthropomorphic global warming, AGW, beyond the bounds, and then plug it into a model, and then shazam, the models have come up with a lot of anthropomorphic global warming, right? So I'm going to now read to you, this is from a 2011 study that was actually published around this this notion okay this is a this this paragraph is a direct quote i'm actually going to leave out one sentence just because it's got a lot of gobbledygook in it right but it says these questions cannot be answered using observations alone as the available time series are too short and the data not accurate enough Mm -hmm. therefore we use climate model output generated in the project Right to to sample the natural variability of the climate system. When compared to the uh, the available observations, the model describes the ocean temperature rise and variability well. Okay, so all right, so then now his commentary, which is just absolutely brilliant, right? <laughs> he goes, note the first and last sentences of this paragraph. Right, the first is that there is not sufficient sufficiently extensive and accurate observational data to test the hypothesis. Right. right. Yep. But we will then create a model that is validated against the same obs- observational data. Right. So they make it work because then they they uh, adjust all of the other variables, and as as absurd as the other variables are, it doesn't matter. Right. Then they report back that oh, see, therefore the conclusions about this problem are what we say they are. And he says this is the clearest, simplest example of certainty laundering I have ever seen. <laughs> I just I just love that the way that, I mean it's a great article. There's much, much more to it, but but you know, I've already taken most of this segment up on this. But I just think it's absolutely brilliant. I don't know how anybody can look at this and go, oh well, he's just a denier. Uh, I know. He's just, I, he's just a denier. Computer models aren't exactly science until they're tested and verified, right? <laughs> and, well, and and that's the thing is they they test them and verify them against the previous data, but only because they've hacked it to be that way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. There's another article in Fee that just came out. I think it within the last couple of days, and I didn't have it in my stack, but I read it this morning, and and uh, it was talking about the you know the the climate change report that that the Trump administration dumped out on Friday, right? And everybody was up in arms because that's a slow news day, and that's when you dump things you don't want. And Fee was taking this report down and saying it was hysterical. But one of the things they zeroed in on was the wildfires because it says there's going to be many more wildfires in California. And it showed some type of graph with a trend line of how wildfires have increased dramatically since the 80s. And the guy said, yeah, well, it depends on when you start your graph. You know, if you go back to the 60s, you'll Mm -hmm. you'll see that it's all over the place. I mean, 
<laughs> and and who's to say it's because of the climate change, let alone man-made climate change, put that aside. There's a whole host of other reasons for these wildfires. Mm-hmm. Most is just lousy land management. Right, right. And and again, just even that system, even the wildfire system, and that's what, what the rest of this, this article points out so clearly, the number of variables that's involved in this is just astronomical. And this is just one tiny component. Yep. I, I, you know, I have the same skepticism about any of these models that I have about econometric models. Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, they are the exact economy. same thing. Yep. There, there's just, there's too many variables. You just can't model. And that, and I'm not saying that that doesn't mean we shouldn't model things. Of course we should. We develop all sorts of theories, but those theories need to be falsifiable Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how science progresses. It doesn't progress by consensus. Hello. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, as, and and it, it's just it's amazing. I look at I I I look at this and all right, what does this have to do with the the business audience that listens to us? Man, dude, th- I can tell you that there's there's people who use make decisions that use this kind of this kind of certainty hacking, right? Oh yeah, certainty laundering. All the time, I have seen tons and tons of decisions made using this exact technique. Well, it could be a, well. The big one that we know is cost accounting. Cost accounting is gospel to to people. You know, cost per unit and contrib in margin per unit and all of that, and it's just bogus. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not mathematically sane at all. And that's why when. Uh, Dr. Reginald Lee's new book comes out, Strategic Cost Transformation. We're going to have him back on the show just to talk about that book because that book, for once and for all, tears it down brick by brick. But it's the same type of thing. You're right. Data, I mean, and the thing that drives me nuts about data, Ed, is it just it just crowds out and bumps out innovation and creativity. Because what data do you have on anything new? <laughs> Nothing. Zip, zero, <laughs> zero nada. Zero, nada. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And look, this was another point. Uh, we, we're just another few minutes away from the break. But another point that, that Bill James brought out in his his talk with with uh, with Russ Roberts about baseball, which was just fantastic. And he even, you know, and again, this is a, this is one of the reasons why uh, Roberts is is attracted to baseball is because it's a closed system. So at least in theory, you can you can you can look at things from a numbers standpoint sure. and potentially draw some conclusions. And to this, at the end of that episode, I don't know if you remember this, Ron, but he, but, but Bill James actually says, we still far know far less about baseball than we think we do. Yes. I, I he just <laughs> repeated that, I think on his recent episode, a couple back and, and, uh, that was a great, a great point. And, and here's a guy who transformed what yes. baseball measures. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and and admitting that we still don't know enough, you know, in other words, my theories can be improved upon. Yep. Crazy. Wow. That's that's why while Warren Meyer's awesome, we gotta get him back on the show. He's you're right, he's gonna become the Charlie Munger of the soul of enterprise. Mike Munger, Mike Munger, Mike, Mike Munger, Munger, Mike Munger, that's right. We're gonna have him on dozens of time. Well, Ed, this is great, but uh, unfortunately, as usual, it's just flying by. And folks I'd like to remind you, check us out at the soul of enterprise.com. 
We'll post full show notes on what we talk about today. And also, uh, if you want to send Ed or myself an email, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. Many of you have been emailing us, especially on the subscription economy show that we did, Ed, the business model show, and it's just been fantastic. And folks, there are more shows coming on that. There'll be a part two sometime in December, and we'll keep you posted on that. But in the meantime, we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S-O-E. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Writer Friday for the month of November. And Ed, this is a topic that you brought up. I think it was on a Free Writer Friday. It's the MIT moral machine website yes you can go and it's basically asking the trolley thought experiment you know and folks we did a whole show on trolleyology in our ethics show and we'll put a link to that in the show notes um but basically you know it's that it's that trolley problem where you can either uh, let the trolley go and kill five people that are tied to the track or you can pull a lever and divert the trolley to a spike in the track that will only kill one person Various themes on that problem can be developed and, you know, all of that. And apparently this website did that. Well, Ed, there is now an article in Nature on the results so far of the findings of how people answered. Um, And it comes, they gathered nearly 40 million decisions from 233 countries, territories, or statelets. And... 
basically the strongest preferences were saving humans over animals. Yep. Save many rather than few. So just like we expect, most mm-hmm. people make the utilitarian decision. I rather just kill one person than kill sure. five and prioritizing children over the elderly. Yes. Another mm-hmm. strong preference. Weaker preferences were saving women over men, pedestrians over passengers and cars, mm-hmm. taking action rather than doing nothing. So some people do answer, do nothing. That's how yes. uh, Rabbi Lappin would answer. I think it's a, be a great question for Father Sirico. Yeah, there's a way to, in that test, there's a way to answer do nothing to everyone. Right, okay. Yeah. 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 And criminals are basically like subhuman. I guess there's experiments around criminals and they're just, they're below dogs. (laughs) But do you know who the lowest on the totem pole? And there's a whole rank. I'll just give you the first five. Person, um, Person with pram is the top preference. Girl, boy. Pregnant women, male doctor, female doctor, and then it goes okay. down from there. But then who's negative, who really <laughs> they don't say yep. the fat man, the homeless person, the old man, the old woman, the dog, the mm-hmm. criminal. And this is not going to make probably half of the audience. I know happy. what it is. Go ahead. It's, yep. it's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's cats. Cats yep. rank at the absolute bottom. And. It's by a pretty substantial margin, by the way. Um, so, but the interesting thing about this is, you know, this, this, this does have ramifications that what the other thing they pointed out is there's differences by country. So they kind of split these responses into three regions, the Western, the Eastern, and the Southern. And they said, um, you know, autonomous cars may need to download new moralities when they cross national borders because there's pretty substantially statistically significant differences between these regions to these answers. Um, So far, Germany is the only country to propose ethical rules on autonomous cars. Now, they're just proposals. But one of those rules is that discrimination by age should be forbidden. And one... uh, One scientist said that all sorts of choices will affect who lives and dies in this. He said, because look, let's say you're talking about programming a car to stay relatively closer to the bike lane, right? So it doesn't, so it doesn't whack other cars. He said, well, you know, repeat that over hundreds of millions of trip and you're going to skew the accident statistics Mm -hmm. one way or the other. And, And so you know, this is one of the questions I want to bring up to Rabbi Lappin and get some more clarity on his position, even though I think I know it pretty well because he did a whole show on it. Um, but I kind of want to compare his answers to Father Sirico. But it's one of the reasons he doesn't like these autonomous cars and says his religion would forbid him from even owning one or even driving in one because, right. you know, these rules have to be pre-programmed ahead of time. And he just, you know, says that's a violation. So, which brings up the question to me, and I thought about this when I when I took the test and and the data as well. Uh, th- that yeah, then thanks for reporting back on that. By the way, I was also I was definitely in the majority there. Cat was definitely the thing I killed the most of, without question. I I distinctly remember the result. And I'm like going that. Yep, I, I say it makes sense. In fact, I might have gone out of my way to kill a couple. I'm just. <laughs> All right, we just we just we just lost our cat loving canine, our feline loving audience. Sorry, I've never injured an animal 
in my life. I have never. Yeah, but come on, folks. How many seeing eye cats have you seen? Yeah, no, I know. It's... <laughs> All right. So, but here's the question. And and this 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 we could adapt this and give this to Sirico and and uh, and Lappin as well. What about if you were able to take some kind of a test and your car behaved in the manner that you would? It's a great question. Make a note of now, that. Now, now, I think that part of the answer would be you, you sitting there in, a, in the calmness of the situation you're not going to be able to make that decision. Absolutely. That that's right. the big problem so, with all of these things. So, you know, you're just, we're, you know, you're just sitting there taking this test and it's, it's not, it's not real. You have, you would have to see what you would do in the moment. In which case then should there be, should there be an element of randomization? Well, you know, in that there as well with virtual reality, you could simulate this. You could bring people in and, and not tell them that you're testing on this and see what they do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's still that they're not actually doing it. I mean, it's it's it, I I think there would be challenges with it. Yes, could you do things that improve the results of the test? I suppose. Yeah, but um, and of course, interesting enough, Russ, Russ Roberts, who is also Jewish, said, "Hey, he wouldn't have any problem with driverless right. cars." So, right, but but I I I don't think he fully fleshed out Rabbi Lappin's argument. No, that's true. That's so. true. We'll definitely bring that up when we have Sirico. But that's a good question to ask. If you could program the car to your prior beliefs, even with all the flaws in that. I would, but I, I doubt that would, knowing Rabbi Lappin as I do, I don't think that would change his mind. Oh, no, without question. I, I, in fact, if he did change his mind because of that question, I would be I would be horrified. Yeah, it's not actually. a mind worth changing at that point. No. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, just the, the point being, and look, we did the show on changing your mind. Right, it t- changing your mind takes t- takes long periods of time. Nobody, nobody goes, oh, got it, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, very few things do you do. I mean, it, it's interesting. I just was listening to a podcast on the history of economic ideas and the Coase theorem. Um, you know, he had a dinner with George Stigler and Milton Friedman, a whole bunch of University of Chicago professors, or twenty one people at this dinner, and he presented this theorem, and they all voted. It was like twenty to one, and the, the one was Ronald Coase. Uh, but and, and then they started debating for two, two or three more hours, and he he swayed them all. He got them all by the end wow. of the evening. And and George Stigler said it was the most amazing thing, and unfortunately, we didn't have the foresight to record it. But he said it was it was inspiring wow. because he got all these people to change their mind. That's significant. That is significant. That's pretty wild. And it was about the FCC rules, by the way. Mm. Yeah, that whole you know, the yeah. whole thing that Hazlitt talked about. But anyway, we're way over time, Ed. And <laughs> folks would like to remind you again. No, we're not over time. Uh, we're not. Oh, we're you're right. Oh, time. you're right. You're right. Yeah, we're full. No, we're, okay, go ahead. I'm you're sorry. Just trying to, you're just trying to not let me have my you know response here. That's all. No, oh, no, no, no. I just don't want you to do another soliloquy. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. This one's very short. This one's very short. And from a previous uh, guest on our show on the Soul of Enterprise, uh, David Friedman. Okay. Okay. And, and it's it's a it's an economics joke. But he when he says economics jokes, he says it's it's not jokes about economics, but jokes that teach economics. Mm. Mm-hmm. So this is even better. You're gonna. I think you're gonna like this. <laughs> All right. An economics professor is in a car driven by one of his students. She asks him to put on his seatbelt. Why do you want me to put on my seatbelt? 
to make it less likely that you'll be injured in an accident. And then the response from the economics professor is, then why don't you take yours off? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That sounds like an economist. Now, I I have to think that there's some people in our audience going, "Uh, what? These guys, I mean, they, they always freak me out that this one is really stupid. I don't get it. The point being is that if you are the driver of the car and you take your seatbelt off, you're going to drive a lot more safely. Yes, absolutely. So that's and that's which is true. So it'd be like installing a metal spike on the steering wheel pointed at the driver's heart. That's right. Well, there would definitely be no speeding. (laughs) There would no. uh, there, you know, I got a whole book of these econo- e- economics jokes, and and they do illustrate some great principles. Also, they poke fun at you know economists as a whole. But one of them is the economist who's engaged, and he goes to the jewelry store to buy the engagement ring, and he, he the guy says to him, "Well, you're you're you want it engraved, right? What do you want me to put on the engraving?" He says, "Engrave it? Are you kidding? That would lower its resale value." <laughs> <laughs> not exactly Romeo and Juliet there. But by, by the way, I just yeah, I want to put a little teaser out there to those of you who are not subscribed to our Patreon podcast. Coming up in the bonus episode, I'm going to tease you and the audience Ron in one fell swoop. I have I have I'm going to go through a list of economic pickup lines. Economic pickup lines for AOC. Or AOC. Well, so yeah. All right. So yep, yep. So for, so when so when you meet her, when you meet her, you, you this you'll be able to use one of these on her. But that's only going to be on the bonus episode of okay. the Soul of Enterprise. Well, Patreon. I'm looking forward to that because I am going to make a trip to to Washington to see her. I just got to oh, get up to yeah. Seattle. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think I believe I believe she well, that this was the meme this week that she, she her preference for Speaker of the House is Bose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! <clears throat> Not beats, but Bose. So we're good. We're good. Um, anyway, more on see we're we're up up against our last. Okay, break. now take us out, Ed. Yeah, now we're gonna take us out. The, the give us give us a shout on the. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The the email address is asktsoe at verisage We've given you the show notes available at the Soul of Enterprise. I mentioned the Patreon site, patreon.com slash tsoe, and please subscribe there for the low low price of seven dollars a month for you to listen to our shows commercial free as well as our bonus episodes. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. 
There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm, no way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday for the month of November. And, Ed, you probably heard that General Motors has announced that they're closing five factories in the United States and Canada, eliminating 15% of their workforce and 25% of their executives, by the way, which is massive. Of course, they have an executive for the, you know, passenger side headrest. So they've always been top heavy there. Um, But um, they're getting out of the passenger car business almost entirely. And focusing just on SUV and trucks, which is what Ford has done. Ford's only doing SUVs and trucks and the Mustang. Mm. So it's really interesting. But um, yeah, Kevin Williamson on National Review has an article on this, and so do the National Review editors. But he, he asks, what did U.S. taxpayers get for their $11.2 billion bailout about 10 years of business as usual, and of course, everything catches up, right? This is Gilder's yep. point. When we guarantee things, there's no learning, so there's no economic growth. And you can't continue to have jobs and pay people to build things that people don't value. I mean, that's the big problem. And, you know, we pointed out a million times on this show that jobs aren't a social program, <laughs> jobs are a means to an end, right? And if General Motors mm-hmm. could produce all these cars with one person, they'd do it, they'd do it in a heartbeat. Um, because the purpose of a business is not to create jobs, but, um, it, it does, it, there's so many things going on here. I mean, the bailout and all of that, but also just GM strategy, you know, they always played in the middle. They always went for market share. They were, they were run by cost accountants. Great book on this, the, the car guys versus the bean counters by Bob Lutz, um, who was a car guy and just mm-hmm. you know, slammed his head in the wall against the bean counters at every turn and the Lean Six Sigma people and the Gantt charts and, you know, all of that. But the, the other thing is um, just they, they got squeezed. They, by being in the middle, the low end was taken care of, you know, the Korean cars, the Hyundais and the Kias and all of that. But at the top end, you know, they couldn't compete with Audi and Cadillac and, or I'm sorry, Audi, BMW, their CADs couldn't compete mm-hmm. at the top end. So they were just, you know, the only thing they can do really, really well is the SUVs and the trucks. So it's, it kind of is a lesson too on, you know, <laughs> sticking close to your knitting, 
right? Yep. You specialize. Yep. It's kind of, I mean, Tim Williams has been talking about GM as an example of having no strategy and playing the middle is, is, you know, a really bad example. Um, so, but, so that's, that's interesting. I mean, the whole GM thing and, and of course Trump is pissed about this and he's been blustering and, but I, I and I look, I don't like his blustering. I think it's completely useless. He wants him to close factories in China and Mexico. And that's absurd. Right. They're not going to do that because those, those, they're actually doing pretty well. In yeah. China. No, they're making money there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but on on something because this is kind of like Trump being right, like AOC's right, you know, like a stop clock. He did say, if you do this, we're going to reevaluate the whole electric car subsidy thing, and he should do that anyway. Right, of course. Yeah. And then take that out. But if this if this is the impetus for him to do that, I'm fine by it. So here's the story I want to link this to, even though they they sound completely different. They're not. I think they're linked. There has been a study by uh, researchers at Oxford University, University of Chicago, and Uber itself that there's been a sizable sur consumer surplus from Uber. Uh, using data from 48 million rides in, in uh, four American cities, they've estimated that each dollar spent on Uber generates $1.60 in consumer surplus, or what you and I call the buyer's profit. Right. right? And... Um, this is estimated to be $6.8 billion a year. They've also learned that drivers benefit. The average driver makes 16 bucks an hour, uh, $10 after expenses, which is higher than the Fed minimum wage. And, of course, in some places it's much higher. In some places it's, I'm sure it's lower. In London they make $14 an hour. But they found that levels of life satisfaction among Uber drivers are higher than other workers. But now the economy, this is from The Economist, they point out, yeah, but there's costs. And one of the costs is ride hailing uh, seems to increase congestion. So some other researchers did this study and they said an there's an increase in vehicle miles traveled, petrol consumption and car registrations, and a 3.5% jump in accidents, which translates to about 987 extra deaths per year. And they say the solution to this is congestion pricing, like they use in Singapore and uh, London and Stockholm. Um, but here's the thing. They, what they're basically saying is for every passenger that, um, you know, for every, uh, every trip, otherwise the uh, passenger would have went by foot or by bike or subway or train. And the researchers concluded that, Ride-hailing services add 2.8 vehicle miles of driving in those cities for every mile they subtract. Now, I laughed when I saw the 2.8 because that's precisely wrong, I'm sure. I have no idea how they gather this data, but this reminded me of something Rory Sutherland said. He said, the dumbest thing London can do is ban these things because they're my backup plan. So I'll take the subway more because I know if there's a problem in the subway, I can always get an Uber or you know whatever. But if if I if they're banned or they're harder to get, then I'm less likely to take the subway because I don't have a plan B. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's factored into this data. But but here's how I linked this to GM. You know, we paid GM to produce cars nobody wanted, just like we did with Chrysler. And yes, I'm right. still pissed off about that from the 70s. But notice that this story doesn't attack the white elephant in the room which is the public transit system. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, they talk about this like the public transit system is the default that everybody loves. No, people are going out of their way to avoid public transit. Mm -hmm. And that's something that it's just, oh, no, no, we got to get them back on public transit. Why? It sucks. Yeah, and I just was listening to some some podcasts with uh, Randall O'Toole from the Cato Institute, who is uh, their their kind of go to person on this kind of thing. And there are three cities in the world where public transit systems are worth it, and that is New York, Washington, and London. Yep. Period. Right? Yep. Is is this is where if they were private organizations, they would actually make money. Yep. Right. Regardless of the of the subsidy, so. I, you know, yes, I, I think that the, there, there's what, what you're also illustrating, Ron, and, and just the, the thing that you brought up of this, this, well, there would have been X number of deaths. That's exactly yeah. what Warren yeah. Meyer was talking absolutely. about, right? I, That's absolutely. just another example of this notion of, of, of uh, certainty laundering, yep. right? Because I'm sure that that's what they did. They took insufficient data, ran it through a model. And lo and behold, the model came out and said this. And they're like, oh, see, well, that comports to reality. Yep. And and then without taking into account, because it doesn't say a net, you know, without yeah. taking into account maybe life saved by people getting into a car that maybe has a better Uber driver than they are. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. I mean, there's Which, all sorts of factors there. Exactly. And that just yet yet another example of the system is far too complex for you to make any kind of rational calculations uh, trying to hold, quote, all things constant because you can't hold all things constant. That it, That is an irrational idea. <laughs> yep. Now, that said, Ed, I don't I don't mind congestion pricing. I do think that there oh, yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. to be said for that. Um, but if, if they're going to do it at least out here on the West where we don't have toll roads for the most part, you know, not as much as they say back East. Um, but you know, there has to be a concomitant decrease in the, in the, um, sales gas tax too, yep. if they yep. do that, but there never would be, they would just pile it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's a terrible thing. All right. Well, Ron, I think we only have a minute left, a minute or two left. So, um, try and try and, and, and squeeze something in here quick. Uh, and and that is a another a former guest of the Soul of Enterprise, Don Boudreau, had one of his his great letters. This was not a letter that he wrote. This was a letter that a friend of his wrote. Mm-hmm. It's about a business owner who ran a warehouse. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, there was two different employees who were pregnant. Employee A solicited the help of her coworkers. B used the law to demand ses- special accommodation. Mm-hmm. Said in situation A, there was a pleasure to provide the special accommodation. All happily chipped in. In situation B, all the other employees complained about fairness to them and how they had to do work for employee B. Um, right. So it's basically the same situation. And this is where he, he the the author of this, Fred Eleven, says laws do not overcome human nature. Yeah, and voluntary Bang. cooperation is always better. <laughs> Bang. Laws yeah. do not overcome human nature so we'll put a link up to that letter great letter so there we go all All right right, what we got going on next week next week we're going to do another installment of memorable mentors with eric hoffer the self-taught uh san francisco shoreman um longshoreman who's philosopher and wrote many books so just really super interesting guy folks i think you're gonna love it all right well i'll see you in 167 hours
This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to check us out at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have full show notes on today's show. If you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.